0: You all enjoyed our game night last week. Uh, To me, it seemed like a success. Seemed like everybody had fun. Um, Now we're going to get back into a a very crucial topic here tonight. If I were to give this message a title, I would call it Real or Fake. Real or Fake. Um, Why don't we go ahead and pray real quick before we get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for this night. Thank you for the powerful presence that we have felt here tonight. God, you are walking amongst your people tonight. You are here for a very real purpose and a very real reason, God. And I just pray in Jesus name that every heart would be open to you, that every young person in this house would be very intentional and and, and direct with their focus tonight, Jesus. Draw us into your presence. Draw us closer to you. Do a work that only you can do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I feel like... I feel like this is just going to be a very important few moments that we have together. Um... I had a plan for how I was going to approach this section, and I do not feel at all like I am respecting that plan. I feel like um, I feel like God has a little bit of a different plan. And so we're probably going to settle in in this particular passage for a couple weeks because it is so, so vitally important of a topic. And we are going to be breaking down and discussing the topic of salvation, the topic of salvation. And I don't think that you can preach salvation enough. I don't think that you can, um, I don't think that any one person can clearly articulate salvation perfectly. I believe that the only person in this universe who really knows every single revelation about salvation is the one who has provided it for us. Please excuse me, I have some allergies. Um, And I really feel like there are some people here tonight that you may look the part, you may sound the part, you may act the part, and maybe you don't even do any of those things. But there are people that are on the fringe, right here, right now. There are people that are on the fringe of salvation. And maybe you haven't really taken youth very seriously or church very seriously or God very seriously for that matter. But I believe that tonight God is is trying to call some people either back home to him or he's trying to call you truly out of the darkness and into his marvelous light for the very first time. You've gone to church under this roof, but you have never really had a real revelation of who God is. You've never really known him, and he's trying to call you out of the darkness tonight. Let's just pray one more time. Lord Jesus, I pray for your strength tonight. I pray for your anointing. I pray, God, that you would open up every ear to hear tonight, every heart to receive. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just move tonight that your peace and your comfort would settle in this place, and that may be a little bit of your discomfort as well, that you would shake us a little bit to drive us closer and nearer to you. Amen. The topic of salvation has been a very heated debate for many, many years. In fact, thousands of years at this point, a couple thousand years. Ever since Jesus left this earth, The topic of salvation has been under constant scrutiny and attack. And part of that is because it is tied to the Word of God, which we know is 100% infallible truth. That means that it is 1,000% correct. There is nothing wrong with it. You can't take anything out of the Bible. You can't put anything into the Bible, and you cannot do any of that with regards to salvation. And for the past couple thousand years, men and women have been grappling with this topic, trying to get a perfect understanding of it. And within that, Satan has crept in, much like he did with Eve, and he stirs up confusion, and it brings about many different types of salvation. Many different types. And the problem with that is, we then have to ask the question of how do we know we have the right doctrinal belief? There are so many out there. How can we determine that? After all, people who say that you are saved by faith alone are using the same Bible. They're using the same scriptures, but they come up with a different interpretation of being saved. And the people who say you are saved by your works, they use the same Bible They use the same information. They feel it with deep conviction and they will preach it till they're blue in the face and it's all because they interpret it differently. And so with that, you can understand why there are so many debates over this topic over the years. Churches have split. Youth groups have fallen apart. People have left the church all over whether or not you are saved by faith alone or you are saved by faith With works. So it is a very important question, and understandably so. After all, we are talking about eternity. And so I respect those people who do believe that you are saved by faith alone. And I believe that some of them really come to the same conclusion that we do. We're just coming from different directions. But I do believe that there are a good many who truly believe as long as I put faith in God, I'm good. And that's where I can stop. That's where the topic gets very, very dangerous. So let's read our passage for tonight. We're going to just touch on five scriptures. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food... And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warned and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. The first passage that this reminds me of tonight is one that the Apostle Paul has written in the book of Ephesians. And you will probably recall it very quickly, much like I did. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. We'll get it up on the screen here. Let's read it together. For by grace, you have, let's read it together. Restart, ready? For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. By grace you have been saved, not of yourselves, or through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.9 Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the first thing you would maybe assume here is that this is clearly a blatant contradiction. Paul is saying that we are saved only by faith. Some may say that. And James is saying, hey, your faith isn't good enough. You've got to have works. Martin Luther, who was the great reformer, who we do owe that of gratitude to. Um, He once thought that the book of James should be thrown out of the Bible because Martin Luther, the battle that he was fighting back in 1517 was the Catholic Church, which was literally selling repentance for money so they could build a bigger building. You could also pay for indulgences and various things, and you could help your family get out of purgatory faster. Everyone's looking at me like, what's purgatory? Exactly. Exactly. And so you can tell that that was a very heavily works-based salvation. It was totally dependent on your physical ability as a human being to go work, make money, and pay off for your repentance. That is literally the definition of works. So we understand why Luther was mad, right? Clearly, he had a reason to be. And so in a reaction to that, Luther got bold, which going up against the Catholic Church at that time was a big deal. It was the only church, and many people who went up against it did not live to see the light of another day. But Luther was upset, and he saw Habakkuk 2.4 that says the just shall live by faith, and it sparked a revelation in his mind. Hold on. You're selling us stuff. That doesn't work. We're saved by our faith. The just will live by faith. And so that started this whole big argument that prolonged over uh, like four or five years or so. And um, eventually, Luther would pound what's called the 95 Theses onto the church doors. He would have a hearing, and they would ask him to go back on his statement. And usually, if you watch a movie about him, it has him saying, I will not recant, and he's all confident. But that's not how the story goes. When they first asked him to take it all back, you know what he did? He said, very quietly, can I have 24 hours to think it over? <laughs> and they granted him that. He went. He thought it over, and they even have diaries of him during this night, prayers that he prayed all throughout the night. And you can feel the conviction in his spirit that, no, we got to make a change here. And he went back and he said, absolutely not. Now, Luther is not a biblical character and that's not who we're going to spend our entire night studying. However, based on this topic, it does it is it is relevant to what we were talking about because that is the reason why you have this doctrine of faith alone. Luther was reacting, but he ended up overreacting. He had to fight so hard against how much the church was preaching and teaching a works-based salvation that he had to go all the way in the opposite direction saying, no, 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 it is by faith alone. And he would later uh, go back on his statement about James being removed as a book because I think he saw the greater revelation that we are going to see tonight. Hopefully he did. I don't know for a fact. But all that is relevant to say this, that you will not see in your Bible faith alone. The only time that faith alone is inferred is at the end of James chapter 2. Do you see the irony in that? We just read about faith without works is dead. What is that saying? A faith that is alone is dead. And so with that, we need to have a greater understanding of these two passages. We need to take the whole of Scripture because it is 100% truth. It does all work together, and it does create this beautiful thing that is called salvation. The first thing that we must understand is that Paul was writing to believers who were checklist people. They wanted to just go through the Ten Commandments and say, yep, didn't commit adultery today. Check. I'm good. I'm saved. Didn't... um, Covet, check, I'm good. Still worship one God, check, I'm good. Did not disrespect my parents. <laughs> check, we're good. And that's all they were doing. They were going through the Old Testament law. They were just simply using it as a checklist system. They are task-oriented people. Anybody task-oriented in here? Anybody like checking off boxes? Yeah, some of us like doing that stuff. I don't, but I mean, you can have your thing. That's fine. But that's literally what they were. They were were just living off of tasks. They were saved by by checking off their tasks. And Paul is trying to get in their head, no, you can't just do all these things. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. You can't just do it. And so then when you look over at James, what do you see with James? He's clearly dealing with the lazy Christians. Sorry, I misspoke. The lazy Christians. Amen. You're not a real Christian if you don't have a faith that produces works. Faith produces works, but you cannot produce faith from works. They're two sides of the same coin. And so James is trying to say, hold on a second. You're all sitting back with your arms folded and you're saying, yep, I've got faith. I'm good. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Real faith produces something. Real faith brings something tangible, something you can see, something that proves that it exists in your life. And so James is getting fed up with these people. Verses 14 through 16, one more time. What does it profit, my brother? And if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? He starts us off with a question here, and he's going to answer this question throughout the remainder of this chapter. And if you really look into all of the messages that we have listened to and you have heard me preach, you will see that this is all trickling through this. This whole book is about faith that works. The whole thing is. And so he's setting us up with a question. He's digging deeper into this topic. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit Okay, you're, you say that you're saved by faith alone. You meet someone who doesn't have clothing, doesn't have food. Where does that leave you? Oh, yes. Hi. Be warm. Be filled. Bye. Have a good day. Paul has a broken leg. Oh, wow. A compound fracture. That must really hurt. Yeah, you can see the bones sticking out there. All right. I believe we're good. That's quite the illustration that James is giving up. That doesn't work. What profit is it? It doesn't gain anything. You, you just did nothing. You literally did nothing. Congratulations. You did not redeem the time. Listen to Paul. <laughs> It doesn't profit anything. Why? Because real faith is a faith that moves you. Like Abraham in Genesis 12, the first time we encounter Abraham, we really don't get much details. We don't know if God spoke verbally. We don't know if it was just something he felt in his heart. In that story, it just literally says that Abraham started following God. And then in the New Testament, you can see that Abraham, and you'll see it in this chapter uh, in the coming weeks, that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And what do we see Abraham do? He literally believes God, follows God. What does that tell us? He has faith, and now he's moving. He's working. There's the double-sided part of that coin. Imagine for a moment, God speaks to Abraham. All right, God, I believe. Feel that awkward silence? <laughs> That's how God feels. Great. But you're not doing anything. You're not moving anywhere. You're not listening to me. God immediately tells him to go to the line of Canaan, and Abraham follows him. He follows him. You get the point. But we're going to continue to beat it over your head. So, But Abraham believed God. He was moved by God. And that's what starts the whole Israelite nation. That's what gives us this whole Bible. That's what brings Jesus. And here we are today. Thank God Abraham was moved. <laughs> Thank God he had real faith. Right? Right? Now here's where all the arguments come in. Are we saved by faith alone? Is it faith plus works? Or is it a faith that works? I don't like saying faith plus works. Because to me that says it's faith plus your abilities. It's faith plus whatever you can bring to the table, period. That's not what it is. The Bible says to walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're walking in the spirit... Is it you doing something or is it God doing something? It's God doing something. So it's not what you bring to the table. You're just a vessel, an empty vessel saying, here I am, God. And he fills you up. He takes control. He takes ownership over your life. And now you can't take credit for anything. So it is faith and works, but it's a faith that works. Real faith is a faith that works. Any other faith is fake. It's always fake. The only reason why all these different positions exist is because, like I said earlier, the enemy is always trying to mess with doctrine. He's always messing with the word. He's always trying to confuse Christians because he doesn't like truth. He doesn't like God. He doesn't like you living for God. And because we're human, we take that. We form a doctrine around our wonderful belief systems that maybe includes some biases and we do that to protect it. Now don't get me wrong. Okay. I'm tiptoeing through the tulips here. Okay. You guys know me well enough. I'm a doctrine junkie. Okay. However, God's word goes beyond the doctrines that we form because doctrines are what men come together and give a title to and create. And it's based out of truth. However, it's still like a formula that we make to make it easier to understand, which is great. Doctrine is in the Bible. I believe 100% in doctrine. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. doctrine. Right there. It's God-breathed, profitable for doctrine. But here's the point. Doctrine in the Bible was meant to defend the church, not to divide it. And because the enemy has messed around so much, it's created so many different forms of this belief on how we're saved, that now everybody forms their doctrine to protect their little sector and group and everything. Now you have a million doctrinal beliefs and nobody knows what's right. And we live in a world where we get so caught up in splitting hairs over doctrine. There's literally millions of YouTube videos, millions of man hours, millions of watch, uh, hours of watch time of people literally arguing over doctrines. Meanwhile, children are starving. People are being sex trafficked. Pornography addictions at an all-time high. But no, I got to protect my doctrine i got to protect this. I can't, I can't have anyone offend this doctrine of mine. This is my little baby over here. If that's the only way you use your faith, you're as good as the people who just sit around and live by faith. Because you're really not doing anything. You're not clothing the naked. You're not feeding the hungry. You're not healing the sick. That's literally what all the disciples and apostles were sent out to do living a life of faith and doing the work of Christ. So can I make it very simple? Because at the end of the day, we have all these doctrines dividing churches. And I believe that a good amount of them were just saying things in a different way, but we really mean the same stuff. But there are plenty that are completely in heresy. And you can look at the Bible and you're like, nope, that does not make any sense. I don't know where you got that from. But can I make it easy because there's only one church? There's only one church, many religions, but one church. You want to know how you're saved? I'm going I'm to make it so easy it's stupid. Don't tell my daughters I said stupid. They'll yell at me. Here's how you're saved. Ready? Obey the word of God. When you boil it down to its smallest concentrate form, that's literally what it comes down to. Can we just stop fighting and arguing and simply, and I know you're not fighting and arguing amongst amongst each other. I'm preaching to the choir. But can we just stop and just simply rely on the fact that, hey, whatever is in this book, Whatever God speaks to you, you got to obey it. you just got to obey it. That's all there is to it. Period. End of story. If it says to live by faith, live by faith. If it says to be baptized, be baptized. If literally every account of baptism shows that it's in Jesus' name, and Jesus said to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, then baptize in Jesus' name. Why are we sitting? Well, no, actually, there's a technicality there. You know, he did. G, this is the way Jesus said it. This is the way the apostles did. It. I'm going to take Jesus over the apostles. What a dumb argument! The Bible literally just says to baptize in the name. Just, just do it. It's not. It's not difficult. It's not hard. Just obey the Bible, and to go make disciples. Go make disciples. Feed the sick, clothe the naked, help the poor. Notice that I said in that original statement, obey the word of God. I did not simply say obey the Bible. We did go there a little bit, but within the Bible, your Bible is a book. And it's a book that men came together in a council, remember learning about this, and created and put all the books together, and I believe they were inspired by God. I believe that God had his hand in that. However, it's not the overall construction of this that saves you. It's the words that are inside of it. If it was this book right here, then Abraham wasn't saved. Abraham was saved because he heard the word of God and he obeyed it. Hear the word of God, Obey the word of God. It's that simple. But we, as humans, we just have to overcomplicate everything. Now, today we have the Bible so we can use it as a resource. It's infallible. It's 100% truth. And we should obey it because it is the word of God. But also, God can speak to you. God does still speak. God does still move. Amen? Amen. And if he speaks to you, he, he can call anyone out of any place. He doesn't need a Bible to do it. Because he is the Word. He's the living, breathing Word. John 1 John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Romans 10 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Where does faith come from? It comes from hearing. Hearing what? Hearing his word. Also, we know that God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So simply put, faith all comes from God. You don't get your faith on your own. You don't conjure it up inside of you. You don't mix some concoction together. It's not something you work for. Faith is something that God has given to men, and you decide whether or not you are going to put your faith in God or not. Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's another way that the word gets proclaimed. It's another way you hear the word of God, you respond to the word of God, and you do it out of faith. When the word of God goes forth, Jesus said, My words are spirit and they are life. So when an unconverted person who is not filled with the Holy Ghost hears the word of God, there is a spiritual interaction that is going on. And that spiritual interaction implants itself deep within your mind and within your heart. And it stirs up the gift of faith that God has given you that is within you. And it causes you to make a decision. Am I going to keep living the way that I'm living or am I going to give it all to him? And hopefully, he'll make the decision to give it all to him. That's where faith comes from. What is faith? Hebrews 11 and 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word substance means an underlying confidence or assurance. Hope comes from the root word, which means an active waiting for. Active waiting for. The word evidence is the proof or persuasion, or get this, an inner conviction. So if we take all of that, because I know that that verse can kind of be tough to understand. If we take all of those definitions and we, and we put it together and we make sense of that verse, it's literally saying this. So faith is the underlying confidence. Of things we actively wait for. The proof of the inner conviction of things we cannot see. Does that make sense? It's an underlying confidence and it's an active waiting for. In the very definition of what faith is just by itself, we get the term that it is active. You're not just sitting around doing nothing. It is an active waiting for. You are being moved in some way, shape, or form. And the fact that you feel an inner conviction, an inner draw within yourself to come towards God is proof of what is unseen. So your faith in God, what you cannot see, hear, feel, touch, you can only see the effects of it. John 3. That, that the fact that you have faith, the fact that you feel that conviction, that draw to God is proof that he exists. It's proof of the unseen world. So we are actively waiting for. Why is faith so important? Hebrews eleven six. 6. But without faith, it is impossible. Everyone say impossible. It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A faith that pleases God is a faith that obeys God. It's a motivating force within you to know God more and to diligently seek him. You're not like the people that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. Remember that? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Right? Those people say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You can literally be used by God in a very powerful way to benefit his church and not even be saved. Whoa. Whoa. Because we know tongues and interpretation are the super spiritual people, right? If I were to stake my salvation on anybody else's salvation, it'd be theirs, right? That's a dangerous game. Because you do not know who they are on the inside. God can still use any vessel to benefit his kingdom, whether they have a real faith in him or not. He can use anything. And he will use anything. He will use anything. And what Jesus is talking about there is the fake faith. It's the faith that James is talking about. It's not real. It's fabricated. It's the people that want God for his abilities and not for his heart. You just want to be known by people. You want to use God to be known by people, to have the greatest preaching points and ministry and Be involved in music and all of these other things. But you don't want to know him personally. Real faith wants to know God personally. James 2 verses 17 through 18. He's being a little condescending here. He says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying, okay, you think that all it takes is faith? Prove it to me. You can't. You can't, because if it only takes faith, you can't do anything. You can't even prove it. You can't do anything with it. He says, however, if it's a faith that works, here, I'm going to show you. Because I can prove it to you. There's evidence. There's fruit. There's something going on. There's something happening. Real faith is a proven faith in verse 19 this is one of my favorite scriptures of all time you believe that there is one god you do well even the demons believe and tremble you believe there's one god you do well You, you believe there's one god You go. You're good. Congratulations on that revelation that you got there. Ooh, one God. (laughs) I'm joking. But he is being a little condescending here as well. He's being pretty sarcastic. You believe in one God? Congratulations. You now meet the qualifications of a demon. That's what it says. And get this. That last part is the most important part. The demons believe and tremble. At least the demon's faith moves them. Meanwhile, your faith does nothing for you. Man. People who claim they are saved by faith alone don't even make a good demon. Sadly, there is much of this going on in Christianity today. Because we're good with perfect church attendance. We're good with going to the mega church, some non denominational church, whatever, wherever people go nowadays. We're good with going to night rallies. We're good with being used in ministry. We're good with showing up at Surge on a Wednesday night. Church attendance can't get you to heaven. Being ministry-minded will not get you to heaven. Preaching a great message does not get anyone to heaven. You can be baptized as many times as you want in Jesus' name and still not go to heaven because you did not truly believe in the work that he accomplished on the cross. Now, is baptism useless? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying at all. We'll get into that in the following weeks. We've got to have real, genuine faith that motivates us to desperately seek after God. If you'd stand with me, you can do a whole lot, still not get to heaven. And you can do a whole lot less and claim that you have big faith and still not get to heaven. The fact of the matter remains. It is not by faith alone. It is not by faith plus your good moral deeds or works, whatever you have to bring to the table. It is simply by real, genuine faith. It is a faith that works. A faith that bears fruit. A faith that has evidence. And so my question for you tonight is this. Is your faith real or is it fake? You should be able to go over this message tonight and everything that we just talked about. And you should be able to come to a conclusion over whether or not you have real faith or you have fake faith. How do we know if we have real faith? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. If your faith is real, then you will feel a strong conviction to serve God welling up inside of you, and as a result, you will actively seek after Him. That's real faith. Okay? Now, if that's not happening, you could just have a weak faith. You might, it might be in there, but you've neglected it. That's so easy to do. Not only that, but you will be able to take inventory over your life over the past couple of years. You'll be able to look back and say, hey, you know what? I've seen noticeable growth and improvement in my spiritual journey with God over the last two years. You can look back and say that. You've had some You've had some good faith going on, but you don't stop now. You got to continue that. If your faith is fake, then right here, right now, you feel next to no conviction in your heart. You'll leave here no differently. You're going to walk back in the same way you walked in today next week. You're going to keep wasting your time. And when you look back on your life, you'll see little to no difference or growth. And it will all have been for nothing. It will be like the vapor that just goes up into the air and disappears. come into this youth group on Wednesday night or this church service on Sunday. You act like you don't care. You're too cool for this. Maybe your mind is thinking about all the drama in life, anxieties, whatever. You're doing anything but focusing on God. You got some questionable faith. I know this can be hard to hear, but and trust me, the way I was feeling before I came up here tonight, I did not feel qualified to even touch this subject. I don't. I know my own inadequacies. But it has to be done. It's a risk that I'm willing to take and I need to clearly articulate this to you and communicate this to you, or else I will answer for it. Disregard the distraction in the back. You know whether or not you have a real faith, a weak faith, or a fake faith. And right now, we need to take a few moments to get reacquainted with God. If you even have real faith... Tonight's a night to fall on your knees and thank God for it. Because not everyone is so lucky to be in such a place. Lord Jesus, oh Lord, help us tonight.